Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. We're in a series that we're calling Gather at the Table. And the idea around gather at the table is one that we're using this terminology and this methodology and really this, um, this symbolism that's found in the Bible uh, around community and around doing life as the body of Christ. And it's something that is just, it's, it's powerful that we see all throughout scripture. We see the importance of the table whether it's a physical table and the things that took place at the table, or it's figuratively speaking about how we as the body of Christ relate with one another. And, and there's some really cool tables. If you ever, ever want um, just a fun, fun study to do is just look up the word table. Um, you can just Google it. You don't even have to do a Bible software. You just Google table and look at all the scriptures in the Bible that have to do with table. And you find some very, very, very cool stories about tables. There's a great, great significance to the table. There's a lot of things that happen. And last week we talked about some of these benefits of coming to the table. What are some of these things we find when we are in community with one another? What are these, some of these things that we encounter with one another? Because there's a, there's a, there's a work that God does us, in us individually but there's a work that he does in us individually through community and through relationship. In fact, the way that God designed it was that we would be doing this thing called life and Christianity and following Jesus together. You know, when Jesus was here, he didn't just call one person to follow him. He called a group of people, 12 disciples. And the importance of doing life together is so, so key. And I would go as far as to say that when we look at this idea of community in the body of Christ, there are things that will not be able to be experienced without the table, without the body of Christ, without the coming together. Because there's an element of relationship, there's an element of strengthening one another that comes when we do life together. And so this is what we're talking about through this series. Now today, we're gonna talk about a literal table. We're gonna talk about the most important table. And we're gonna talk about the table of the Lord. We're gonna talk about communion. And uh, communion is amazing. There's, there's, there's so much in communion and Passover and the Last Supper and the Lord's Table and everything that goes there. And I wanna give you a little bit of, of, of background today. I'm gonna to give you a little bit, I did some research, and so I'm gonna give you some background on some of the ceremonial stuff only because it is gonna further help us to understand the power of the Lord's Table, the power of the Lord's Table. We're going to pull our text out of Luke 22, which says this. When the time came, that means Passover. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles, or the disciples, sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. I want, I want you to notice this first phrase here, because this is really important. It sets up the table. Jesus says here that I have been very eager to eat this meal with you. Why, why would that be? Why, why would Jesus have so much eagerness around this specific meal? He'd been with them for three years. They'd done other Passover meals. They'd been together on this night. What was so special about this that he was so eager in his spirit to spend time with them about? I think it's a couple different things. Number one, Jesus loved them. Jesus loved them. Like, like, 
I know that sounds really simplistic, but I, I want you to understand something that everything that he was going to reveal to them and establish at the Lord's table was because he loved them. We can never get past the simplicity of that statement. For you, Jesus loves you. Everything he did at the Lord's table, everything that happened on the cross, the suffering that he endured, why? Because he loved you. He loved you. He loved you. We talk about this all the time, but, but when he goes through his suffering and when he goes to the cross, you better believe that you were on his mind. You were on his mind. As he hung there in pain and agony, carrying on him every sin that you would ever do, he loved you and you were in his mind. Let us not forget that. Like, like for real, it's a simple, simple phrase, but the whole reason that any of us can actually even be here is because of that. Like, like there, there's no hope without the fact that Jesus loves us and came and died for us. Like, like that's where everything boils down to. So the second thing, the reason Jesus was eager is because he had something new for them. He had something new for them. Now hear me, this is what was so powerful about this. The disciples had done communion, or they'd done not communion, they'd done Passover their whole life, right? This was a part of their rituals and a part of, of everything that they did in the symbolism. Every year they would have done Passover. And, and, and I talked about this, but how many of you, when you do something for a long enough period of time, and, and it's just a routine that you go through, sometimes it loses a little bit of power, doesn't it? Right? Like, like, like it just kind of gets like, oh yeah, we're doing the thing. We're doing the motions, right? And we can kind of get into a little bit of this. It becomes a little bit familiar, right? And I would imagine after doing Passovers for so many years that the disciples were kind of at a place where they were like, all right, an, another Passover. Okay, we're, we're going to get together. We're going to do the thing. We're going to remember. Yeah, okay, all right, another Passover. But in this specific context, in this moment, Jesus had something new for them, fresh for them. Here's my word to you, that in the middle of your routines, God wants to break in with something new for your life. Many of us have routines that we live in. Our days are routines. Our weeks are routines. Sometimes even the, the, the routine of coming to church on a Sunday morning, it just becomes something that we just do. But I want you to know that even though there may be, and we would never say this, but even if there's an expectation in our mind that we know what's going to happen, we expect what's going to happen and what's going to take place, that Jesus wants to break in because he has something so much better for us. He has something so much better for you. I believe this with all my heart, that where you're in in your life right now and what you're walking through in the mundane, in, in taking care of kids and getting them to school and picking them up from school or maybe teaching them school and going to your job, the nine to five, where you just go through it every day of the week. It's just the same thing, same in and out, same in and out. I want you to know Jesus wants to break into your world and bring something new and fresh to you. We can believe that. We can believe that. Uh, even, even, even down to your... Times with the Lord in the morning, they can become so routine. I read these books, pray this prayer, 
journal for five minutes, done, out the door. I want you to know that in the middle of the routine, Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. The routine is not meant to minimize that. The routine is we do something so that we set things in place in our life so that God has the opportunity to break in and bring a shift. For the disciples, he was about ready to bring a paradigm shift to something that they already knew. New meaning to something that had already been done so many times before. In our lives, it's the very same thing. He wants to bring new meaning to things that we have done our whole life. So then it goes on. For I tell you now, that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper, He took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So, you know, we've probably read these passages a lot, but again, I wanna wanna give you a little bit of history on Passover, and I'm not gonna belabor this to get to where we need to go, but I do wanna give you a little bit of history. Because in the Old Testament, Passover included remembering four promises that God had made to his people. And these four promises came out of Exodus 6. And they were this. This is, this is Exodus. This is what it says. Therefore, this is God speaking. Say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. We could just stop right there. Like, like the end. Go enjoy the thing that's happening this afternoon. The game with the things, the goal unit basket things that take place. We could end right there. There's some powerful promises that are wrapped up in there. Four promises. Let me break these out for you so that we can see what these four promises are. They were this. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery. I will redeem you. And I will claim you as my own people. How many think those are some pretty good promises? I like those promises. Those are really good, right? And so this is what God was speaking to his people. Now, with Passover... Um, Each one of these four promises were actually attached to a cup. There were four cups of wine that were drunk at the time of Passover, okay? And they each were to symbolize one of these four four promises, okay? And each cup was represented a promise that God was going to do and, and all of these kinds of things. They also represented, these promises represented things that only God could do. Right? As you look at these promises, there was no way for them to save themselves from oppression, to deliver themselves from slavery, to redeem themselves, and to claim themselves for themselves. That's just weird. That, just, that wouldn't work, right? But they were only things that God could do. And this was the powerful, of what, the powerful point of what it was. And so each of these things were, were taken place um, at, at, at Passover. Now I'm gonna go through these cups, the symbolism and the meaning of them, and then we're gonna go back to the Lord's table to see how all of this ties together, okay? The first of these cups was called the cup of sanctification, or kadush in Hebrew. This cup of sanctification. 
and was attached to the promise, I will free you from your oppression. I will sanctify you. I will set you apart. This cup represented salvation. It represents salvation, being made holy through Jesus. Now, I want, this was the, the, the first cup for a very specific reason because the symbolism for us and what, need, what we need to remember today is that everything starts at salvation. Everything starts at salvation. We can't move forward until we get that right. We can't earn our salvation. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough right things. We can't do enough good things serving the community to somehow earn it. You'll, you'll never pay off your debt of sin. You, you never will. And, and here's the sad thing is that there are people that still live in that. That, 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 that they're trying to earn their way to somehow make themselves good enough to be able to go to heaven. It's impossible. This first cup means your salvation is because of God, not because of you. It's because of what he did, not because of what you've done. And it continues to be anchored and rooted and cannot be taken away because it's finished. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished. And this was important. Now, this first cup at Passover was a mixture of water and wine, and it was taken before the meal. So the father, the patriarch of the home would call everyone together and he would say, all right, we're gonna get ready for this meal. And then he would bless and they would have this cup of sanctification before the meal was uh, served. And then they would go on to the next one, okay? The next cup, the cup of deliverance. The cup of deliverance. The promise that this one was attached to is I will rescue you from slavery. I will deliver you. Here's the power of this for our lives right now. The first cup represented salvation. What does salvation do? It secures our eternity, right? Salvation secures our eternity. Through Jesus, we have life with him in eternity, free from hell, free from condemnation, all of that. But what the second cup represents is this, is it represents deliverance, which speaks to our quality of life while here on earth. You have salvation speaks to your eternity, deliverance, which speaks to right now. Deliverance is for anybody who's struggling with their sinful nature, which is all of us. Is there anybody in here who's mastered your sinful nature? Please do come forward because I would love for you to speak and not me. There's not one of us who has mastered our sinful nature, right? Now the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome it but it's still there. It is a daily fight. In fact, most of the time, when we think we've got it under control is when we actually don't. And the sinful nature comes and just plagues on us, right? We need deliverance. We need deliverance. You see, even after the Israelites left Egypt, there was still some Egypt that needed to leave the Israelites. Even though they were saved, even though they were sanctified, they were removed from that, there were some pieces that were still in them. Some worship of some gods, some ways of thinking and mentality that needed to be delivered. They needed to be delivered from. Same thing is true in our lives. There are things, there are mindsets, ways of thinking, perspectives that we have to be delivered from. And when I say deliverance, I'm not talking about like demon possession or anything like that. Like that's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying to be delivered from the flesh, to be delivered from an old way of thinking, 
to be delivered from a way of perceiving God and perceiving how he works and what he does and allowing there to be deliverance of our minds and our spirits and our wills to be able to actually serve God and to be able to actually see him for who he is. See, this is what's so cool about Jesus. And this is so what's so cool about the plan of God. The plan of God doesn't just take care of your eternity, it takes care of your now. He's moving in both spaces in your life. So do not ever ever doubt that God is at work in your life. He's secured your eternity and your destination, and he is absolutely working in your life right now, right now. It may not seem like that. In fact, there's a lot of times where you're like, man, I'm still wrestling with the same stuff. <laughs> I thought I was delivered. I, I, I believe this. It's a daily walk. It's a, it's, it's a daily thing to come before the Lord and say, God, today, here is where my mind is at. And it is not good. <laughs> and I need some deliverance. I need some deliverance from the way that I'm thinking. Would you please come by your Holy Spirit and do what Paul talks about in Romans. Renew my mind. Yes. Refresh my mind. Yes. Would you come and remove my old ways of thinking, my doubt, my fear, my worry, my ways of thinking about salvation, would you remove those things and give me a new mind and a new heart to see you for who you really are? This is the power of what we do in this moment. This is what God has for each one of us. Now, deliverance, like I said before, comes in relationship, and this is why discipleship is so important. Discipleship, walking with people through life, Walking with people that can actually help you to realize the deliverance and the freedom of your life. Here at One Life, we say that our goal is to find freedom. Well, we do that in relationship. The freedom that God has for you comes through relationship that you have with other people. And it goes much deeper than just getting together to play spike ball or pickleball. Those are amazing, incredible things that build a platform for deeper conversation. See, we have some really cool small groups, but the win is not that we have them for all different variety of things that are cool to do in our, in our valley. Like, that's awesome. But the root of it is so that we can come together with other people and go down deep and see some freedom experienced in our lives. Anybody have some areas in your life that you would really like to have some freedom in? Some mindsets, some ways of thinking, some perspective that maybe you're like, God, would you come and just do a work in my life? Well, he does that in his presence and he also does that through other people. Okay, the, the third, uh, the, oh, and this cup, this cup was taken, uh, and the interesting thing about the second cup is that it was not actually consumed. Um, at Passover, they would bring it and, and, and they would pour it but really what it would do is the father would, would proclaim what the Lord did in Egypt. And then one of his sons would say, why is this night so special? And he would end up reciting a lot of these things in the history of God, delivering them from Egypt and bringing them to this point. And then it was set aside. So this cup was not drunk. Okay, now we move on to the third cup. The third cup was the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. The promise here, I will redeem you. Redeeming simply means this, it's to restore what's been lost. 
is to restore what's been lost. Redeem literally means to, to buy back. Buy back. Jesus has paid our debt. He's paid our debt. The bill has been paid. Your tab is taken care of. This is the powerful part of redemption right here. But not only redemption of your souls. The Bible is very clear about how God wants to come to restore what has been lost right now. I want you to hear me on this. Are there some things in your life that have been lost? Are there some things that have been robbed from you? Are there some things that you have seen in your life not come to fruition? Maybe it's a healing to take place. Maybe it's a breakthrough in some physical area of your life. Maybe, maybe it's actually a, a loved one or a child who's walked away from the Lord and you're believing for them to return. Maybe it's some sort of provision in some other way. Whatever it is, God comes to restore what's been lost. In your life, he comes to restore what has been lost. I want you to believe that. Now, now sometimes it's hard because we don't see that immediately and we live in this in-between where sometimes we don't see the fulfillment of that. But like any of God's promises, we know that when he makes a promise, he will keep a promise. And so we know that even in the in-between, that God said he would restore, so he will. He said that he would pay back and bring back what's been lost, and he will. It's up to us not to make it happen, but to continue to believe that he will make it happen. He's in the business of taking broken people and making them whole. This is, this is what he does. And here's the thing about restoration that I love. The book of Job says this, 42. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. But get this, in fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. See, God doesn't just restore what's been lost, but he restores even more. He restores to better than new, better than it was before. I, I know that there are people that are walking through things that have been very long periods of time with unanswered questions, when un, with unanswered battles, with unanswered prayers. And, and the only hope that I can give you is this, is that the Bible says that he restores. So he's gonna restore. Now, now that might not be in our timeline. That might not be in a way that we think or how we want it to take place. And sometimes we have to let the Holy Spirit shift our mind. But the only thing I can tell you, the only hope that I can give you is that he will restore what's been lost. My Bible says it. And so I have to believe it. So the third cup, after the meal, the third cup was consumed. And then after the third cup, they would, they would sing some songs and these psalms were out of, um, they, were, they were the psalms of halal, which is just praise. They were the praise psalms. And they were psalms between 115 and 118. 
So these, these number of psalms in here. And they would always sing the same ones. And they were psalms of thanksgiving and psalms of praise for everything God had done. And so they would sing these psalms. And then after the last one, Psalm 118, then they would drink the fourth cup, which was the cup of praise. The cup of praise. And the promise is this. That God said, I will claim you as my own people. The cup of praise is of thanksgiving and celebration for his salvation. It's a praise to say, God, I trust you, and I'm so thankful for calling me your own, being adopted into the family. It's this idea that, that, that we praise because of everything that he's done. So, so this, is, this is a little bit of, of the Passover. This is how this worked, okay? You guys good? Okay, I wanted to give you that so then I could fast forward to the Lord's table. So then we jump back into Luke. We jump into Luke. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and blessed it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Okay, pause for a second. This was the first cup. Okay, he gave them the first cup. It was before the meal and it was the cup of, do you guys remember? Sanctification. Good job. <laughs> I won't do that with all. Maybe I'll do that with all of them. The cup of sanctification. Everyone's like, go back in your notes. <laughs> the cup of sanctification. Okay. All right. So this was the first cup. Then he kept going. He then took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this to remember me. An interesting note here. Jesus does something very interesting because at Passover, these cups and this, this meal, and I didn't even go into the bread. There's a whole bunch of stuff behind the bread, which is really cool. But everything in there was all to point back to those promises from Exodus 6. But notice what Jesus says. He says, every time you do it, don't remember the promises, remember me. Why? He's the fulfillment of the promises. He said, you have been remembering that God made promises and is going to keep them. Like, that's what you've been doing. You've been looking back and every year remembering God said he's going to do those things, so he's going to do them. And now Jesus says, listen, you don't have to remember those things anymore because I want you to remember me and what I am going to do in this moment. And then he says this, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. This is the third cup. Okay, remember the second cup is not drunk, it's put aside. This is the third cup, okay? Now here is where, here's where the power of this is. Do you guys remember what the third cup is? Redemption. So what did Jesus say? The third cup, the cup of redemption is the cup of the new covenant. My blood is gonna be shed so that your price can be paid. The fulfillment Right there. Promises made, promises kept. Oh man. On this side of the cross, and we have the New Testament, we look at that and it's like goosebumps. Back then they're sitting there going, huh? Right? They didn't know. 
What do you mean remember you? What are you talking about blood? You know, we're not drinking your blood. What are you talking about? You know, this is weird. They were trying to understand what God was saying or what Jesus was saying in that moment. Jesus was speaking about a new covenant, a new kingdom that was being established. And then after much very lighthearted meal conversation, it's a joke. Matthew records that they start going around. And this, this is the funny one because, you know, they, they, he says, okay, but, you know, tonight every one of you is going to deny me and run away, you know? And each one of them, Lord, not I. Is, is it I? No, no, it's not you. Lord, is it I? No, no, it's not. Lord, is it I? Like, could we just do this all at the same time? I mean, like, for real. Like, we have to go around all of them. Lord, is it I? No. Okay, right? And then Judas does his thing, right? And then and, and Jesus sends him on his way to go and perform that. And then Peter has his thing where he goes, even if everybody else denies you, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus says, no, you're, you're, you're going to deny me, you know, like you are. And, and, and the beautiful part of this that applies to us today is every one of his disciples denied him, but he restored every single one of them. How many of us have ever denied the power of the cross in our lives? How many of us have ever denied him in some way, shape, or form? Maybe not blatantly with our mouth, but maybe in the way that we've lived. But there's always restoration for those things. And Jesus always comes to restore those things. His redemption is permanent in those things. So then they got done, and they sang a, a hymn, which was probably between Psalm 115 and 118, right? And then they got up, and they went out to the garden. Notice, though, and, and this would have been, this is intentional because this would have been recorded. There's nothing said about the fourth cup, the cup of praise. Nothing said about the fourth cup. Matthew gives us some insight as to why in his uh, covering of the Last Supper. He says this, And Jesus took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this, blood, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I, here it is, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So when is the fourth cup going to get drunk? Well, in Revelation, there's a banquet that is talked about. It's a wedding feast. And we get to be with him in heaven, celebrating the marriage feast of the Lamb. The fourth cup, the cup of praise, otherwise known as, and this is the other name for this cup, the cup of fulfillment. Here's, here's where all this ties together. We live in the middle of fulfilled promises and promises yet to come. That's where we live. We live in the fact that there were some promises that were made that were kept and fulfilled in Jesus. But there also are some future promises of restoration and healing yet to come. And that's where we live. We live in the here and now and the not yet. Like this is part of our spiritual life. This should not surprise us. Like, like thankfully, and hopefully you will be as excited as I am about this, this isn't it. Like I love all of you, but this can't be it. And I'm very thankful that it's not. We have a promise of a feast, a banquet, of an eternity spent with a God who stopped at nothing to make sure that you would be redeemed and saved and set into his family and adopted as his kids. Oh man, I get excited about that. 
So we live in the, t- in the middle of these things. Now, here's the powerful thing. Come in full circle to the promises that were made back in Exodus. The I will statements of God that he said over his people. Jesus came, fulfilled these so that now on this side of the cross, this is how we read these. God's saying, I have freed you from your oppression. I have rescued you from your slavery. I have redeemed you. And I have claimed you as my own people. Come on, how many are excited? Yeah, give it up, come on. I love reading those words right there. They're not I wills, they I haves. Man, I tell you what, that gives me so much trust in God for the future because if I look back and go, he already did all that stuff, so I know that he'll do everything he says he's going to do. It gives me such trust and assurance in who he is. So every time we come to the Lord's table, and this is how we're actually gonna finish the service today, is by taking communion together. Was that a good setup or what? <laughs> we're, gonna do, we're gonna do communion together. And, uh, and, and as we do it, we're gonna remember the promises that were made, that were kept. And we're going to remember and look forward to the promises yet to be fulfilled. Sometimes these promises are hard to remember. In our lives, it's hard to remember sometimes that he has freed us, that we are rescued, we're delivered, that that, that we're redeemed, that we're claimed. Sometimes it's really hard for us to remember that. And this is why scripture is so important because scripture is the only thing that can remind our souls and our spirits of what the truth is. So I'm gonna give you a scripture for each one of these and they're in your notes, you can take pictures of them. I'll probably send them out on social media this week. But there's just one scripture for each one of these things. The first promise of the fact that he has freed us from oppression, John eight says this, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone, truth, notice he says that. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins, is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. You're truly free. If we ever need to remember that he's rescued us and delivered us from oppression and from the attack of the enemy, Psalm 107 says this, Lord, help. Anybody ever prayed that prayer before? Lord, help. They cried in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Oh, come on. If that doesn't build faith in you. How about the promise of redemption? Isaiah 43. Now, this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God says that over you today. You are his. And if we ever, ever question for actually adopted sons and daughters, Ephesians 1 tells us this. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. In advance. You are not an afterthought. The idea of adoption into the family of God is not an afterthought. It was always there. And this is what we wanted, he wanted to do because it gave him great pleasure. Your adoption into the family of God brings him great pleasure. So we praise God for this glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he has purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And finally, he has showed his kindness on us, allowing along with all wisdom and understanding. Let, let these verses, anytime, I, I, I'm really saying this, I'm giving you a tool here. I'm giving you a tool. Anytime the enemy comes to lie about one of those promises that God has made and fulfilled, claim this scripture. Read this scripture. Testify. Proclaim it. Declare it. Let Satan know what you believe. Let God know that you believe in him. Use scripture. So that's what we're supposed to do, is use scripture to be able to war against the enemy. We're gonna, as we get ready to, to do communion, I do just want to give an opportunity for anybody who's here in the room or online that maybe is far from God. I, I want to tell you this morning, and I said it before, Jesus has already paid for your sins. And he's called you out of where you were into his marvelous light. He's made a way for you to be completely forgiven, redeemed, and your sin paid for. He's already done all this. And if you're listening to my words today and you don't have a relationship with God, or maybe you've had a relationship with God, but you've kind of, the world's kind of gotten you focused on other things. And maybe today you're like, you know what? No. I want to come back to the fact that Jesus paid the price for me. He's forgiven my sins. And I want to live in that freedom and that deliverance that he has. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. We're going to all pray this prayer together because, because that's what we do as a family. But if you're here and you're like, I, I need Jesus, I want you to pray this with faith in your heart today to believe that these words are true for you. Let's close our eyes. Repeat this after me. Just say, Jesus, I come to you today and I confess that I've sinned and I've carried my sin. And today I lay it at your feet. I give it up and I ask you to come to wipe it away, to be the Lord of my life. I receive your gift of salvation and forgiveness of my sin. I start today brand new, fresh, clean slate, loved and cherished by you. Amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer today, I I just want to say there is no greater joy in heaven than when someone who was lost is found.
And, uh, and if that's you, and you, I would just encourage you at the end of the service, the containers, the buckets, the back as you leave, that connection card that Ellie had earlier, if you, if you ask Jesus in your heart, if you would fill that out for me and put that in there at the end, that'll just let me be able to follow up with you and provide you with some next steps on what it means to follow Jesus and live for him. And so I'd invite you to do that today after the service. We're going to get ready for the table of the Lord. And as we do, I want you to grab the, you can stand and I'll have the worship team come join me and Ellie to come join me. And uh, underneath your seat is, is the cup. And it's, it has two parts to it that just need to be opened up. And so you can do that. We're going to get ready to take this together. But what I want to do is, as we come to the table of the Lord, um, I, want, I want to read something over you. I, I, I put something into words this week, and we'll see if I can get through it. Jeez. <laughs> Without crying. If I make it into humor, then sometimes I can get through it. But I was putting all these promises into um, just a word over you. And I want to read this as we come to the table. It says this, this is God speaking to you. I have freed you from the oppressive hold of the enemy and have rescued you from your slave master's sin. I have redeemed you with my powerful arm and poured out all my judgment on my son who took your place on the cross. I've claimed you as my own and called you by name. I love you. I've saved you. I've paid your debt. I'm your God. You are mine. If there's any doubt in you today, believe it with all your heart. You're his. You're his.